We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to make your copy of scripture ready. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Reggie finished up, I'm sorry, we're in 2 Samuel. I'm going to catch on. Took a week off, man. Uh, last week, Reggie actually concluded 2 Samuel for us, um, and we're actually going to jump back into the book and kind of wrap up this summer series today with 2 Samuel chapter 9. Um, so uh, while you're turning there, um, I think most of you have probably at some point ridden in an airplane. Uh, it's a pretty common experience for us. I know some of us have not, but many of us have. Um, and, and if you have not, you've probably seen what it is like to be in an airplane. Like it's, it's a closed-in vehicle, um, thankfully, because you'd otherwise fly out because it flies through the air. And so uh, you can pay a lot of money and sit in really comfortable seats and on really long plane rides have like even a space to lay out and stuff. Or you can be like us and not pay a lot of money and you can be crammed together with everyone else in this little sardine box um, that flies. And it's incredible. But uh, we went on vacation uh, a few weeks ago and it was a long journey and um, we had connecting flights. And so the first plane that we're on is great. Uh, Courtney and I get window seats. We're there. It's nice and everything. So we, we make our quick jog and then we get on the next plane and it's an even larger plane. And it's one of those really big planes that has like four or five seats in the middle to where there's like, there's not an option of looking out a window. You're like looking 15 feet over there like, hey, how's that window seat? Is that nice? Can you tell me? Is it pretty outside? I don't know. Um, so we end up in the middle, of course. And um, I'm not just in the middle, but I'm next to, like, I've got Courtney on one side of me, and there's another person over there, and I've got a kid on this side of me. So I'm in the middle aisle, but now I'm in the middle of the middle aisle, and uh, it's a long plane ride. Like, I do you remember five, six hours? Something like that for that part of the, of the adventure. And so it's a long time. I, I realized this young child next to me, um, because he gets up and leaves every few minutes that his parents are like rows ahead of us. And so there's no one here to kind of like give the look like, hey, huh, help me out here. You know, uh, there are things that can make airplane rides a little less than ideal, like kicking your seat or things like that. But he's, he's doing okay. And I'm trying to realize like, as a kid, we're on here for hours. Like, just relax, Kevin. You're going to get through it. Um, he leaves at one point. And he has like all kinds of little Game Boy things, all this kind of stuff. But he comes back and I'm like, oh, there's something new. Like, what's bad now? And he puts on goggles, like a whole, puts the little things on his hands and he starts going to town. And he's playing. So we're crammed in here. He's next to me. And at first he's like pretty conscious, like, oh, there's a guy next to me. So he's like kind of in his little bubble there. But like within minutes, all of a sudden, now I've got this kid's fist like in my face as he's like immersed in his own world there and reaching out all over the place and like hitting things and trying to pull them to him, like all this crazy stuff. And I'm just trying to think like, what is he seeing? <laughs> What's going on inside that world there? But then I think about it more and more as I'm growing increasingly frustrated. They're like, <laughs> come on, parents. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing giving this kid that kind of a thing? And I was like, what a metaphor of life, right? To put on some goggles and be in your own world. And the more that your world grows, the smaller the world around you actually grows. Think about that. Like the bigger you are in your own eyes, the less you can actually see what's around you. And the more your world, like me, the kingdom of me, the more that that grows, the smaller the world in which you live actually becomes. 
That's this crazy, just normal thing about us that we think that the more we conquer, the more we acquire, the better off we are. I mean, if I could just see that bank statement, keep going up, if I can keep getting the promotions and all these things, if people would just like me, if people would stop fighting me and just do what I want, then man, life would be so much better. And yet, just like Jesus said, the people who find the most joy in life are the ones who are willing to take a backseat. The ones who are willing to say, no, no, I'd rather actually give it away. And in fact, I've, I've learned this principle that the faster I give it away, the more God blesses me. And that's not a prosperity gospel thing. It's just the reality. And it doesn't mean that it's wealth, but it means it's joy in what we truly need in life. That the posture of the follower of Jesus is to say, no, less of me, more of him. I agree, John the Baptist. And I must decrease and he must increase. So this is where we come today. As we conclude this series, and we're talking all summer about what it means to obey this command to be hospitable and this calling to be peacemakers. As we conclude all that, I want us to think about that through that lens of, well, if it's a lens of me, then how small is the world? And what is this calling? So in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to start in the first verse. It says, David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And so context here, what's happening, we've gone back in the story, and so we're at the point where David has become king. And so remember, long story short, David was a shepherd boy, unassumed, like no one thought anything of him. All of a sudden, a prophet comes, anoints him as the next king because the first king of Israel, Saul, has been rejected for his disobedience, his lack of faith in God. And so Saul is the current king. David is now the new anointed king and he lives in this tension. He's actually serving Saul for a while. David rises to prominence. Saul gets jealous and wants to kill David. He literally tries to kill him numerous times. He's chasing him through wilderness and everything else. David actually goes to the arch enemy of Israel, to the Philistines, lives amongst the Philistines. Saul dies with his sons in battle, but one of his sons is Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were incredibly close friends. They made a covenant together. They, they loved each other as they loved themselves. Like, that's amazing love. And isn't that what Jesus told us? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so they have this beautiful friendship and one of their conversations as friends, when David knew Saul's out to get me and Jonathan is trying to like be this mediator and Jonathan asked David, knowing like, hey, this is not gonna end well for me and my family because of my dad. He's like, David, will you promise me that you'll be kind to my descendants? And David says, yeah. And so Saul and his son Jonathan die in battle. David who has been anointed as the future king, becomes king. And so we're now at the point where David is establishing his kingdom, his own party. He's in office now. And so this is where we pick up. David, knowing that Jonathan, his dear friend, has died. Saul has died. And now David says, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And then he says, there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, Where is he? Ziba answered the king, You'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Machir, son of Emil. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Emil, in Lodabar. 
David has asked, for the sake of my friend Jonathan, is anyone left from the household of Saul? And you know what happens when kings die? Uh, when, when a king is ousted from the throne, then the, the next successor, the one who's to take his place, is a descendant or a family member. That's how dynasties work. And so, typically, when a king dies, other kings will want to kill all of the relatives so that there's no one who has a claim to the throne. And so here's David saying, is anyone left in Saul's family? And they find a former servant of Saul, Ziba. Like, hey, anybody, anybody left that you remember from the household of Saul? And you, what does he say? Are you Ziba? And he says, oh, I'm your servant. <laughs> He's trying to make it clear. Like, I'm for you. I'm loyal. Like, I know I used to serve the old king, but I'm for you. And, and he's, so he's got to be thinking like, oh, he wants to decimate them. And says, so, well, there is one. Jonathan's son, actually. He's been injured in both feet. He's lame. Uh, I can tell you where he is. And so David hears this. He says, wow, there is someone. Someone is left that I can show the kindness of God to. But again, you have to be wondering here, what is he really doing? Because if he finds someone who is a descendant of Saul, that's actually a threat to the throne. That person could conjure up enough people that were sympathetic to Saul and supported Saul to say, help me take the throne back. I have a rightful claim to it as a descendant. And so David is asking to show kindness, but you've got to be thinking like, does he really want to show kindness or does he want to just like more fully establish his throne? So we keep going. Um, look, look at what David does. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, this is verse six. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Again, trying to clear the air. I, I'm loyal to you. I, I'm, I'm not against you. I'm for you. Verse seven. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot to give a man. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. In case you forgot. Right. <laughs> There's a reason that's there. David, he's the king. There is a descendant of the former king who is alive. David has the opportunity now to say, is that a threat to me? And will I eliminate that threat? Or will I keep my promise to Jonathan that I'll be kind to your descendants? And he's, he goes above and beyond kind. Not only does he just like announce like, hey, you're forgiven, like I know, I'm not holding it against you that you're in that family. You're okay. 
but he gives them all of Saul as the king of Israel, all of what Saul owned is now this crippled man's. And if that's not enough, David says, look, no, 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 like that's all yours, take care of your family, they're all gonna be your servants now, but you, you're gonna eat with me every night. You're gonna come to my table. You're gonna have a seat at my table. When everyone else in the kingdom would think that's a threat to your throne, David says, no, you're coming to be like one of my sons. You're gonna sit at my table and eat what I eat as the king of this nation. This is hospitality. And, and so think back in this story and compare the two. What is it like to have a seat at the table under King Saul? Saul kept the people around him that he wanted to guard the most and not guard in the sense of defend them, but to make sure that he knew what they were doing so that he could keep a hand on them. David had a seat at Saul's table because Saul wanted to make sure that David didn't get out of control. He wanted to know where he was at all times. And so you remember the story when David knows and realizes like he's going to kill me and he disappears. And he's like, but he's gonna know if I'm not there for the feast. And Jonathan's like, okay, we'll, we'll make this plan. And the whole thing was Saul wanted David at the table because he wanted to have control over David. And yet now at David's table, to have a seat at David's table is to be loved. To have a place to belong and be known, to be known as a son even, to be loved. That is what it is to have a seat at David's table. This is at the heart of hospitality, to be welcomed in, to be blessed, not to be controlled and taken advantage of. This is hospitality. We, we started this series talking about what hospitality is in the Greek and the New Testament. Hospitality comes from this Greek word, philozenia. And this is a combination of two words, philo meaning brotherly love, and xenia meaning stranger. So if you think we hear the term xenophobia, people that are different and a fear. But the stranger being loved is what hospitality is all about. It's seeing beyond yourself and seeing someone else and letting them come in, welcoming them in love, actively loving the stranger. And so today, I want to give you some just really practical steps on how we can be a more hospitable people. I so want, because our Lord commands it of us, for us to be a church that is known for loving the stranger, that the stranger no longer feels a stranger, but knows that they are truly beloved. Welcome the stranger in. And so some practical steps. Here's where hospitality starts, okay? Okay. When we look at the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, Jesus talks about this. This is what he says. If hospitality comes down to love of the stranger, this is what he says in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard that it was said. And now listen, follower of Jesus. All of scripture is God breathed. But like right now, it's easier than anywhere. Like Jesus directly spoke this. It's recorded. Hear this, your Lord saying to you, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Oh, okay, like we're pretty familiar with that. Jesus, pretty radical. Love even your enemy. So love your neighbor, but love even your enemy. Love the ones who don't love you. Love the ones who curse you and persecute you. You're to love them. You're to bless them. You're to pray for them. Like, that's radical. That's so grandiose. Like, what a high calling for us, right? 
But now look what he says next. Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. So he starts off really lofty. Hey, if you only love the ones who love you, don't the tax collectors, like the worst, the most vile people in our culture, don't even they do that? Do that. He's like, no, 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 let me sink it in a little. Hey, if you only greet your brothers and sisters, you don't love. The Gentiles even do that. What is Jesus saying here? You want to know what it looks like to love? He's saying, let's start here. It means look up and see people. Actually look at them and then talk to them. Say hi to them. Love, in practical terms, starts with just see people and speak to them. But I want to go to the grocery store and put my headphones in and keep my eyes on the aisle. And Jesus is saying, oh, look them in the eyes and say hi to them. This is where love starts. This is where hospitality starts, actually seeing people and speaking to them. We're to speak to them. But when we see them and we're to speak to them, it begs the question, what do we say? In our language, belong. Stranger, you have a place here. You have a seat at the table. That you belong here. That all of us from the Edenic exile that we were kicked out of the garden in the beginning, we have been longing to be back in a place where we belong. Then all of scripture, there's this common theme of exile being forced out of something and we just long, we yearn to be in a place where we belong, that we are supposed to be and the gospel invitation is you belong here. You belong. And in that yearning to belong somewhere, what we want is intimacy. We want to be known. That you and I want desperately to actually be known. But we're so terrified we're so terrified of actually being known because we've said this so many times. We're like, if you actually knew me, if I really opened up and shared everything about me, oh, I'm so afraid that when you see the dark recesses of my heart, that I won't belong anymore. So I want desperately to belong because I want to say I want to be known, but then I'm so terrified of actually being known that I'll just keep my mask on and I'll keep some space here. But again, the gospel, the good news is that God, who knows everything, he sees everything, he looks straight at us, seeing everything, he knows us through and through, and then what does he announce? I love you. I know everything about you, and I love you. You still belong. I know you. You belong. You were loved. You are my beloved. And so we, church, we have this opportunity now that when we see people, this is what we say. You can belong. You can be known and you can be loved because of this vertical love of God who knows me through and through and still loves me, having known me all the way and still says I belong. Now I can do that for you and you can do that for me. That we can have great failures in our life, in our hearts. We can be terrible, wretched people and yet there is grace and forgiveness that God has granted to us and so we can grant it to each other so that we still all belong and can be really known, not just like surface level, I know you, but actually be able to share the deepest, darkest, hardest things in our life and still have a place because of the gospel, because of what God has done for us. 
So this is our language. This is what we say. Belong, be known, be loved, and that doesn't mean you run around saying, belong, be known, be loved. But like, you've got to let that actually sink into your heart. What does it mean to say these things and what it is? And when you see the stranger, to love the stranger is to look at them and to greet them, to say something to them. It is to invite them in. Church, we have got to invite the stranger in, welcome them in, love them well. To invite someone requires humility. There's a day when Jesus is invited to a feast. He's invited to this man's house who is of prominence. And so he comes in and Jesus starts to look around and he's watching. It's like people are jockeying for position because in that culture, like the order that you sat, the arrangement of where you were at a meal meant a lot about your status. So the host decide like who's jockeying for position, trying to make sure they're in a seat where they're going to be recognized like I'm pretty Look how many people are behind me kind of thing. And Jesus, watching all this take place, then he starts talking, and this is in Luke chapter 14. He says, uh, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and you would be repaid. I don't do that. You know, who has a seat at your table? the person who can benefit me. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy that. They're going to they're gonna help me make this gain and this, whatever. Like, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You don't, you don't invite people over so that you can be repaid in some way. And he goes on, he says, on the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. <laughs> Who do you invite? Who do we take this language of the gospel to? To those who can do nothing for us. This is what it is to invite in humility, to show hospitality, is to not bring in the people, like, oh, that's gonna benefit us. Like, look at what he can do for me. Look what she can do for us. Like, no, it's just, look, look for the poor. Look for the lame, the maimed people. The people who are blind, who can't even see, just invite them to the dinner. Invite the ones who can do nothing to repay you because you'll be repaid at the resurrection. That's who we invite. And Jesus, like, you just imagine, they've all been jockeying for position and they hear this and they're like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> and now they're, not only are they thinking like, that's not how I operate, but they've also got to be thinking like, oh, so why did I get invited? Huh. Yeah, this makes sense. This is how we live life, right? Put the goggles on, take over. It's all mine. It's my world. Hospitality requires humility. And what Jesus is saying here is that who you invite says a lot about why you invite. Who you invite says a lot about why you invite. So ask the question, why do we invite? Do we invite out of genuine love? Can we actually have the humility to be hospitable? We were in Hawaii for this vacation, and um, one of the things that has happened in Hawaii with COVID is that they, they realize like, nobody's coming to the island for over a year. So the, all the rental fleets, like, we're just going to have huge issues. We're going to have a bunch of dead cars, and we're not going to make any money. So they sold off their fleets to the locals and shipped whatever else was left back to the continental United States. So there are very few rental cars available in Hawaii right now. And so you have all these people who are now trying to come there now that it's opened, 
and there are no cars to rent. Very few. So we spent hours trying to find a rental car and I'm trying to do the math, like looking at Uber and what it would cost just to like get from the airport to our place we're staying and all this stuff. And it's like astronomical. And the only cars we can find, I called over 20 different car rental companies. The only vehicles left for us to rent were luxury vehicles. Like, yeah, you can rent this Lexus for $650 a day. Like, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> we'll find a bicycle. Like, so I'm trying to figure all this stuff up. Eventually, thank God, we, someone told us about this, this company that's like, you, you're renting someone's personal vehicle. And we were able to do that and not spend as much money and all this stuff. Um, but we get there. And one day, Courtney and I, we arrive. We're like, we're getting out of our vehicle and unloading it. And this Porsche comes pulling up next to us. It's like beautiful Porsche, convertible, all stuff. Like, and this, this couple gets out and the wife goes over and the husband, now he's like next to me. He's unloading the Porsche and I'm unloading ours. I'm looking over like, that's a sweet car. Like, <laughs> that's sick. And so I, I look at him and he looks at me like, hey man, how are you? And he's like, good. Like, are you on vacation? Do you live here? And he's like, oh, I'm on vacation. Like, so I've, I've just got to ask because I really struggled to find a vehicle, but any car rental company that I talked to wanted to rent me things like that. Like, how'd you get that? And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. It's not mine. We had, to, we had to pay an astronomical amount to have a Porsche, and we really don't want the Porsche because we can't afford the Porsche. And I'm like, yeah, that's really kind of him to like actually be honest, because I'd be really tempted to be like, oh, it's mine. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, right? You like it? Take you for a ride if you want. <laughs> but he's, like, he's just like so straightforward about it, like, no, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> we, had, we had to rent this. And it's cool. He's like, yeah, we drove it up a mountain. That was really cool, but we can't do anything else and all stuff. So he told me all that. I was like, oh, where do you live? We just start having this conversation. And in the conversation, without me pushing on him, he just starts disclosing these things like, well, I work construction, but I don't own it. I'm just, I'm just a worker on a crew. And we've been saved up a lot of money to come here. And he's just, over and over, he's telling me things that every time, like, he didn't have to tell me that. Like, I totally would have believed him if he said it was his Porsche or he owns the business or whatever the case may be. But every time he opened his mouth, he's humbling himself more and more and more. And I walk away from that conversation and Courtney and I both are like, I kind of want to hang out with them for the day. Like, there's something so attractive about someone who has the humility to just be honest and not try to build up their own empire. That humility will bring us into authentic community. That when you can set aside the kingdom of me, you'll actually find there's a world and there are people who are loved by God and I can love them and they will love me. But when we live in the kingdom of me, then we build these massive walls and the world shrinks so much. Is it the heart of hospitality? And humility is expressed relationally. You're not gonna outside of a relationship. And so as we love the stranger, let's do that with humility, lower ourselves to engage them, not to build our own kingdom, but to genuinely love each other out of love for God. If you keep reading this, Jesus didn't stop there. This is what he says in verse 15. Uh, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. 
The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. You remember that language? Who do you invite to the feast? And this master is doing that. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house were invited will enjoy my banquet. Huh. <laughs> what? This is the gospel. You know who comes to the feast? You know who comes to enter into his kingdom? To enjoy God, our greatest treasure forevermore, fully forgiven free and living in light and love, delighting in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this triune God overflowing in a fountain of love and joy. Who gets to be a part of that for all of eternity? The poor, the lame, the maimed ones, the blind, the ones who are not so haughty and prideful. They say, I know, you, I know you're throwing a party, but you know, I've, got, I've got my kingdom. <laughs> I've got me. And here's the thing, this is the gospel, this is good news because you and I were such. We spiritually were absolutely bankrupt and beyond bankrupt. We had a debt we could never Men said, all of your debt is on me. The certificate of debt has been erased having been nailed to the cross. Jesus took all of our debt on himself, all of what we owe for our sin, he has paid it in full. We were poor, we were broken, maimed, blind. We didn't even know we couldn't see. And yet God has broken in with faith and given us the gift of faith to see, wow, I was dead, you brought me to life. You are beautiful, glorious, there is nothing like you. And so you will forever be my treasure, God, you. We were such. And so now he is saying, no, you've got to see that. I saved you, I brought you into the feast when you were such. Now you go get them, bring the rest, fill my house. Go be hospitable. Love the stranger. Bring the stranger in. Love them well. What a beautiful invitation. We were invited in when we could do nothing to ever repay God. And Jesus said, that's the kind of person you invite. I can do nothing for you and your kingdom. And I'll repay you. And I just have to, I have to wonder for my own life and I think for probably many of you, why is it we are so reluctant and so terrified to share our faith, to leave here and go to a restaurant and talk to someone about the name of Jesus, to walk into someone on the trail covered in sweat and just say, you know, I just love Jesus so much, I want to tell you about him. Can I just share with you what I believe? Why are those conversations so terrifying to us? Why are we scared to even say, hey, I'm part of a church plant that meets at a school. I love it. You want to come? Will you come with me Sunday? When all of the studies of like nine times out of 10, if you do that, they will be terrified. Like what if they reject me? Like what happens? What is behind all of that fear? I'm gonna say this for me, it's pride. 
the very thing Jesus said gets in the way of coming to the feast. I'm afraid of what this would mean for me. We have to follow our pride, lower ourselves, and in humility, genuinely love the stranger, invite them in. There's a feast with more than you could ever want. And he's prepared it for us. And he said, here's a seat at the table with me. Come on. And in fact, actually, there's still room. There's still room. We did, we invited them. There's still room. And God's like, go get more. Go get more. Keep inviting them. Bring them in. Hospitality requires humility. So kids, I've loved having you in here. This is the last week that we have elementary classes all in here. Um, I need a kid who is really good at puzzles. Really good at puzzles. Owen? All right, man. So here's the thing. Come on up. You can have a seat right here. Does this look like an awesome table? Yes. Yes. I'm glad you said that. I was a little afraid that I would get somebody who'd be like, I don't like candy. You like candy? All right. So here's the thing. If you can solve the puzzle, then I will let you have first dibs on whatever on this table you want. So we've got Pez. Forgive me that that's a lady. That's weird. Um, I had to take it out of the box because, you know, <laughs> but they were on sale. Uh, we've got sour gummy worms. We've got gummy bears. We've got these long sour power ropes. Like, you get to pick whatever you want first if you can solve the puzzle, okay? And the rest of you kids, your parents are welcome to grab you something else <laughs> at the end of service. All right, so here's the thing. Um, I am going to communicate to you a number between one and five. I'm going to arrange these, and you need to tell me what number am I communicating to you. I'm going to give you a few tries because it may be a little difficult at first, okay? So I'm going to start with, let's start with these. Okay, so what number am I communicating to you? Not three, it was two. Uh, let's try again. You're good at puzzles, right? You can get this. This one. This is an easy one. What is this one? What am I communicating to you? What number? Five. Oh, it was one. All right, we'll, we'll do it again. It's okay, don't get frustrated. I know it's hard for you guys to see the, the shapes up here, but you really don't need to see them. Just what number am I communicating to you? Eleven. One to five. Try again. What am I communicating to you? Five. Good guess. Not quite. Here's the thing. Listen. Bottom line. It's not about what's on the table. It's who's at the table. What number am I communicating to you? One. Look at me. What number am I communicating to you? Look here. Two. Two. You got it? Let's try it again. See if you've got it. Three. Perfect. Do you see it? <laughs> I am at the table. It doesn't matter what's at the table. It matters who is at the table. Good job. You still get to pick. Which would you like? I will. Uh, <laughs> Sour gummies? <laughs> that, one, that one's empty. They're all in here. They're all in here. 
He is good at puzzles. <laughs> awesome, man. Good job. Good job, Owen. Thank you. It's not about what's on the table. It's who's at the table. Hospitality is seeing people, seeing the stranger, and speaking to the stranger, inviting the stranger in to know the heart of God. Then now we get to live in that, in love for others, because of our love for God and his love for us, it overflows. So be hospitable. And remember, it's not about what's on the table, it's who is at the table. It's the joy of community to be in relation with each other. This is why, you know, they've done studies on why is it that people keep going to movie theaters? Why? Let's be honest. Most of us have TVs that are way nicer. The refresh rate is way higher. The crispness, all that stuff is way higher on the TV in your home than it is at the movie theater. And at home, you wear what you want, you eat what you want, you drink what you want, you have none of those restrictions that they have there, it's just not gonna cost you your firstborn. Like, what is, what is the deal? Why do we still enjoy going to the movies? And every study has said, it's because people are there. Because it's different to watch a movie by yourself versus with 100 people, even if you don't know them. The joint laughter, the shared emotion, the community, is what brings great joy. So can you see that? And we have the most beautiful community in the world. We have the hope of the world, Jesus in us, living and dwelling amongst us in his kingdom as he rules and reigns over us. And we, his beloved, get to extend that invitation to all the strangers say, look, you're loved, come on, come inside. You can belong, you can be known, you can be loved. You're welcome here. Come to the table and see that it doesn't matter what's on the table, It's who is at the table, and who is at the table is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. There's no one like him, and he is more than enough. So can you see that and invite others into that? There's still room. I just love that line when the servant is told, you know, go in the city, go through the alleys, invite the poor, the hurt, all these people, the unsuspecting. Go invite them. He comes back and he says, hey, I did it. There's still room at the table. Me and Owen have our chairs. There's still another table. There's still another chair there. There's still room. Keep inviting. Keep inviting. And I want to conclude with this. In our cultural moment, a distinction that's necessary. Because so often we equate hospitality with entertainment. They are not synonymous. Hospitality and entertainment are not the same. Sometimes we freak out about so much and we're so hesitant to invite people over and into our lives because we're afraid of what our life looks like. If you saw my home, (laughs) what a wreck it is. This is why home groups can be so hard for many of us because we feel like everything has to be put together just perfect, it's gotta be just right and all this stuff because we're thinking of it in terms of entertainment instead of hospitality. Hospitality is not the same as entertainment. Hospitality is not entertainment. Entertainment is actually focusing inward again. Entertainment is, I've gotta make sure this is right, and this is right, and this is right, and it's really about me and what's gonna reflect of me as other people come into what is me. That's not hospitality. That's still the same me kingdom. That's still an isolated world that cuts people out. And so any flaw, like, oh, the table arrangement's not quite right, or this didn't go how we want it. Like any flaw becomes critical and fatal to you. It equates to failure. But hospitality focuses outward on others. Jen Wilkin, I love how she said it. She said, entertaining seeks to impress. 
Hospitality seeks to bless. Because again, it is not about what's on the table, it's who is at the table. See people and speak to them. So how can you be more hospitable with your time, with your talent, with your treasure? How can we love the stranger and invite them in more? Because you're not a stranger. God knows you through and through. You can know me. I'll let down my walls. And I can know you and you'll still belong because we are loved by God. We can love each other. And practically, many of you lead ministries for this church. How can you be more hospitable in your ministry area? How can you make sure that the stranger knows that they are loved? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. We love you because you loved us first. So would you help us to love the stranger well? God, make us a hospitable church. Make us love your peace and experience your peace in deep and profound ways every day so that we can then be at peace with others and make peace between others. To not live for the kingdom of self, but for your kingdom. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Thank you. You have not left us alone. You have modeled for us what it looks like. And Jesus, help us to be obedient in this calling. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.